Welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Ribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. For over 20 years, Hugh Lambert travelled the world as a TV cameraman, director of photography and editor. Often he'd find himself in some of the remotest parts of the world, perhaps living with a local tribe. On each trip, he'd try different foods, and some of them were quite out there in terms of taste combinations and ingredients. I'll let Hugh reveal what the roasted figs he ate one day in the jungle really were. And with that broad-minded approach, it isn't surprising that Hugh has created a drink with unusual ingredients, Shanty Spirit, a seaweed botanical vodka. And this isn't a gimmick. As you will hear, Hugh falls into my beloved category of brilliant and possibly slightly bonkers obsessive. Someone who describes his spirit as four years of research driven by a lifetime's passion for being by the sea. They really were years of intense focus, macerating countless seaweeds and then working through a long list of botanicals until he got to a point where he could collaborate with a distillery and see his idea bottled up. Now, as you know, if you've listened to Vince Noyce at Portsmouth Distillery about rum and Alex Cameling at Cam and Sons, I love these stories of dedication, particularly when they bring something new and authentically different to the market. Hughes Venture is still very young, but when it comes to his future success, I'm excited to say that you will have heard it here first on this very podcast. Enjoy the conversation. Hugh Lambert, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast this nice week. Very much appreciated. You. Nice to see you, Mark. Thank you. We are going to chat all about vodka and the ocean and seaweed. So it seems fitting, as you know, I know you listen to the podcast. I normally start with where are we on planet Earth, but uh, we're in my venue, aren't we? Yes, lovely venue it is too, and the sea's looking gorgeous today. Yeah, so it feels appropriate. One of the reasons for meeting here is that if you're going to chat about the ocean and seaweed, we are literally overlooking... Uh, yeah, the ocean, the English Channel, aren't we? Yeah, so. fantastic today. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, so, uh, seaweed and vodka wouldn't necessarily seem like an obvious combination. Looking forward to learning all about it. Uh, can you just explain a little bit, where did this idea, what was the trigger for this? Uh, well, I guess the trigger was uh, a confluence of things, actually. Um, so... I was coming to the end of my career in television. Um, I'd always had a love for the ocean. Um, I was looking for something else to do. Um, and one of my last projects was working with a forager called Roger Phillips, yeah. who was the godfather of foraging. He's a very chipper octog octogenarian, lovely guy. Good book on Amazon if people want to buy it as very well. Very good book, yep. being out for 30 years, Wild Food. Uh, I think it's being published for 30 years now. Uh, and I was privileged enough to do a pilot with him, with a couple of friends going over to Ireland. Uh, foraging for bits and bobs, some of it coastal, some of it not. Uh, and then taking those back to the Ballymaloo Cookery School uh, that were having a festival at the time as well and uh, working with Darina Allen, who's a celebrity chef over there. So we provided the ingredients and then Roger would disappear and, and she would cook something up. Uh, and it just so happened that uh, part of that was seaweed, of course. And I had never really thought about eating seaweed, but all of a sudden I became very interested in seaweed. Um, and when I got home, I started cooking with it myself and it just added that other dimension that really wasn't accessible through many foods, just that rich, deep uh, flavour that, that, that really appealed. You know, I'm, I'm a Marmite lover, not a hater. And I do love things all umami. Um, and for me, um, it was a really enticing flavour profile. Um, at the same time, there was obviously a lot of buzz going on in the craft gin world. Um, and I, sometimes I cross the paths with, with gin manufacturers and producers via TV, my TV work. Uh, people I knew were, were bringing out gins. Um, 
And it really was a bit of a light bulb moment. I'd had too much coffee before bed one night. I woke up with a start and thought, actually, I think seaweed and vodka would marry beautifully. Um, I'd always been a fan of a dirty martini, had a penchant for savoury things, not really much of a sweet tooth. Um, and I just thought it was well worth investigating. Nice. And, and when you say you uh, went home and started eating seaweed, you, you lived by the coast at this point? or you were... Yeah, I've always lived by the coast. And, well, and were I... you going out and foraging locally for this? Or? I have foraged for it. I've bought it um, from places like the Cornish Seaweed um, Company uh, and Mara Seaweed, but I was also going out and foraging. Um, and I went on a foraging course, actually, with uh, another author, Rachel Lambert, um, in Lyme Regis. Right. Uh, she introduced me to some other seaweeds and I got a handle for it, but it was never it was never the route that I wanted to take to be just foraging for everything that we were going to use in the product. Yeah. <clears throat> there were other things to do. Well, at that point, um, you, you, you started with, I'm just going to use some seaweed and cook it in my dinner. At that point, was this, was this seaweed you were going out and foraging? Because I'm kind of thinking, if you buy seaweed online, does it come as a fresh product? Or is this a dried thing when you're putting it in food? Well, it depends what seaweed it is, actually. So, so the kelps and wakamis and sea greens... Um, they come as dried products. They're not really affected by dehydration. Um, but pepper dulse, for instance, the truffle of the sea, that's a very different beast when it's uh, dried. Right. So really you need to get that fresh and you need to use it straight away. So. Okay. Amazing. Um, so you had this kind of like, yeah, you'd gone from eating it handy, I suppose, that you were, you were fundamentally researching your future career without knowing it when you were off filming what what was your background prior to this you were you were often traveling around the globe i understand yeah so i was a tv cameraman and uh, an editor for a period uh, and i got into the whole industry really to do scientific documentaries which took me around the world took me into jungles living in jungles living on desert islands um meeting tribes doing a few myth busting documentaries on things like um the moon landings and crop circles working for national Ge Geographic and Discovery and, okay. and broadcasters like that. Um, Hang on, I can't not ask. So is the moon landing legit? You researched it? Uh, yes, it's legit. Okay, good. And crop circles? <laughs> Are they aliens? Uh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> Things could have got really interesting. I would have gone away off on a tangent if you'd gone yeah, that. Sorry. sorry. We, we, did make, we made our own crop circle, actually. Did you? Was, yeah, just a, a couple of bits of string and a plank of wood. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit low-tech, isn't it? Or an alien <laughs> ship. Very low-tech. Okay, nice. That sounds, in, in many ways, not necessarily the crop circle, but, but living in jungles, travelling around the globe, uh, I don't know, in, in, quite a, a nice lifestyle. What was the trigger to stop? Uh, it was a great lifestyle, fascinating. It was very much a solo mission. I mean, often, often I'd go off for, you know, a month, two months, three months on occasion, you know, to do these projects. Um, and, uh, it, but it wasn't really great for relationships. And, you know, I was keen on staying in the relationships that I was in when I went off to do these things. Often it was quite attractive for the other person. that I had an interesting job and that I was seeing the world. But after one or two of these expeditions, really, you know, their enthusiasm for the whole thing waned a bit. Okay. Um, and uh, I then uh, had a child. Right. And I thought, this has got to change. I can't go off and do these things anymore. That was fine, actually. Um, what I needed to do was, was rework my, uh, my work situation and do some more domestic-based stuff. Okay. Which I did. So I did things like the Scrap Heap Challenge and uh, Come Dine With okay. Me, lots of food programmes. Um, all sorts of stuff, a whole myriad of, of things. Nice. So, um, but, but it still meant that I was going away to work. Right. Um, so I ended up as a single father, uh, working away every other week for TV, sometimes, you know, up to 100 hours in a week and coming wow. home and being a dad to, you know, a two-year-old and kind of, you know, investing mm. in that as well. And, and it wasn't really sustainable. No, that's interesting, I think, because uh, we often think in hospitality that it's a particularly difficult industry to uh, have a family with because generally we are serving people, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, you know, chefs are in the kitchen at the, at the main time that most people are kind of off with their kids and stuff like that. So there's this perception that this is a challenging industry and yeah, people probably don't realise it as much with, uh, with TV. But ironically, 
you decided, right, I'll get out of TV, jump into hospitality. Fortunately, not as a barman. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, I completely see that that can happen in hospitality. Yeah. I mean, there, there really is no time zone in TV and there really is no time zone in hospitality, I imagine. No. So um, at what point then, so this, this was a bit of a hobby. You'd done some filming, you'd sparked an interest in seaweed, you'd woken up one night and wanted a dirty martini. <laughs> at what point do you go, you know what, this might actually be a, a thing, an actual commercial opportunity? Well, I, f I felt that it had legs potentially, and but I, well, I couldn't that, really. That first night, or, uh, or not, after not, a bit that, of... not that first <laughs> night. No, um, that was just that was just an idea. Uh, but I quickly sort of followed it up and and went and foraged for some seaweed, and also bought some seaweed in because I didn't necessarily trust my own foraging abilities at the time. Is seaweed um, like mushrooms where you can make a critical mistake? Or no, is it not, a bit safer? Not, not really. Much, much, much safer. Okay, so it's more of a, uh, do I, yeah. 98% of seaweeds in the intertidal zone are edible. Are they? But, then, but they're not all nice. Okay. That's <laughs> a fair point, I suppose. But yeah. there are a couple that can get you. Um, yeah, so... Uh, sorry, so, so you start, I'm trying to think of, yeah, how you go from, uh, you know, waking up and uh, thinking I'm thirsty to this is an opportunity. Presumably you did some practicing or something. Did you, how did this, how did this start? So I uh, created what was coined my breaking bad cupboard in my office. Okay, nice. Um, and <laughs> and uh, I got hold of uh, lots of different seaweeds um, and I started macerating them for different periods of time. Um, and uh, different sources of the seaweeds, different provenance of the seaweed, um, different periods of maceration, just experimenting with it. Um, and finally, uh, one day I thought, it's about time I tried some of that. Uh, and it had probably been in there for six to eight weeks or something you know i was kind of thinking along along the lines of slow gin or something okay. and i was thinking this thing is going to need to be steeped for months because yeah, really it's quite a subtle flavor to really appreciate the flavor yeah. um and uh, so i was sitting there having uh, my staple comfort food spaghetti bolognese one night whilst working on the computer and i thought it's about time were you sort of single man at this place every single man's meal that i think isn't mm, it i think, it's probably, like I think more than likely yeah. i was okay, yeah perfect. Well, <laughs> not the, yeah not stereotypical anyway but uh, yeah no of course so so um so yeah so i ventured into the cupboard and i got some out and i tried it with my uh, spaghetti bolognese and i thought Oh my god! I'm I mean, very everyone, proud of my spaghetti bolognese. Yeah. By the way, I know okay. everyone is, but yeah, mine's particularly sure. good. I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, I tried it with some some kelp right. maceration. I just thought your bolognese. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. As you do. Not on it. That's very traditional as a, Italian. As a, as a tipple. <laughs> I often think that. Bolognese, a little bit of kelp. That would be lovely. <laughs> well, exactly. You wouldn't think so, would you? No. But in actual fact, I was blown away by the marriage of um, tomato and, okay. and kelp. Yeah, I just thought... That makes sense. It, it was just incredible. I just thought this is... You know, tomatoes are full of umami as well. Yeah. You know, it was just a stunning combination, I thought. So Amazing. I thought, right, okay, well, this is definitely got legs okay um uh, yeah great so what happened you carried on uh, carried on practicing or you uh phoned a distillery <laughs> no so i carried on practicing for a very long time actually so for the next couple of years i really got involved in trying and experimenting with all sorts of different seaweeds really? um from all around the country i wanted to keep it british um and we have some of the best seaweeds in the world on our coasts uh, apparently because of the sea temperatures and also the currents. Um, so it is quite an asset of the British, British yeah, coastline. Gulf Stream, I suppose, bringing yeah, warm yeah, water yeah. over a long way, you know, presuming I'm no expert. Uh, and the wave action. I think it needs yeah. relatively cool water. Right. Um, so we get yeah. some great seaweeds up on, you know, the kind of north-west okay. uh, coasts and north, north, Northern Ireland. Yeah. Cornwall, of course, as well. Um, so, yes, so... I experimented with a lot, a lot of seaweeds. Um, and uh, finally, after a couple of years, I kind of shortlisted five that I really wow. loved. How many are there? Well, you know, roughly hundreds or? Hundreds, yeah. Really? And hundreds. you said you were try just trying to look in for, and are they quite, because you imagine, 
I guess, you know, I never really thought about it, but I suppose, I suppose there is a range. I'm imagining a sort of fairly subtle flavour, but I suppose some of them are actually quite strong, are they? Yeah, no, they are very rich. Yeah. Some of them, I've got some here if you want to have a sniff of them oh, at some point. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay, well, go on. Yeah, what have we got? <laughs> okay, so that's sea buckthorn, actually. So that's, sea that's buckthorn. not a, sea, so this not is a, a very... seaweed. <laughs> Even a, it's got the word sea in it. That's a berry. Okay, wow, that's really strong flavour, <laughs> isn't it? Very jammy, sour. Uh, it goes beautifully with seafood as well. Okay. Uh, this is this, this is, is a, this, this is your bog standard kelp, Laminara digitata. Okay. So is, for the benefit of people listening, you are you know kilner jars full of. Okay, this actually does look like a seaweed. It's been dried, has yep, it? Yeah. Okay. And and I can literally eat this eat this as is. Nice. Uh, you can nibble on that whilst we go yeah. if you like. Okay. Unsurprisingly, salty. <laughs> <laughs> and quite rich, I think. You think on on the nose, I think it's it's quite um, a deep, rich. It's actually really good. Isn't caramel. It? You, can, you, almost. Could, you could almost just. Where do you get this from? This is stuff that's, you bought that's on from the Cornish Seaweed Company. The Cornish Seaweed Company. Yeah. You just buy it as is. Normally used in food. Yes, normally used in food. You can you can wrap your salmon in that, or, yeah. or mix it into a dashi. They use it in Japan to, as as part of a stock. Um, yeah, it adds very quite a nice texture as well. It's actually a little chewy. It's not crispy, is it? No, quite. I mean, it's a chewy kind of. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not. That's not the classic seaweed that you would eat, like the like the nori snacks you can buy, the wafer thin snacks you can buy in the supermarket. Um, yep. you know, which are using kind of lava seaweed. This is a bit more robust, mm. um, and I never intended you to eat it, really. It was always just, just, to, <laughs> just to smell it. Just to smell no, it. No, I'm a restaurateur, <laughs> isn't it? We've got to be able to eat it, not just drink it. Um, this one, wow. This one is a, what's this? So that's sea greens, that's a combination of um, gut weed. Right. (laughs) Which isn't a very attractive name. Really strong smelling. And and sea lettuce, yeah, and it's quite hay-like. Yeah, Uh, And it's kind of like sorrel, it's got a sort of sorrel element to it when you you cook it. This is why I like uh, hospitality and doing these podcasts, and I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again, because there's always some crazy, geeky, obsessive who will go off and go, right, I'm going to try hundreds of seaweeds, and then I'm going to, yeah, pair it with booze. Uh, and create these things. There's not many people that do it, but and then there's always one who will actually then actually turn it turn it into a thing. So well, I, I, I just got hooked on the idea, and I really felt it was going to work. And I kind yeah. of and I just needed to push through this right. this period. You know, as soon years. as I yeah, as soon as I tasted, as soon as I tasted the the kelp with with the tomato, and I and I was wowed by it. I thought, well, yeah. if I'm wowed by it, then other people will be wowed by Nothing. it too. Yeah, you know, which is where most people then you know switch the telly over or open a beer or whatever. But well done you, because you went right. Maybe perhaps let's carry on the journey. Obsessional, I think. No, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes. Um, so you tried all of these ones, and then you came up how many did you say five so five ended up with five yeah i mean they're quite they're very deep flavors yep uh, a lot of them uh and so i want but they all bring something slightly different to the table so i didn't want to just use a single botanical there's a lot there's a few gins out there that have seaweed in them the Isle of Harris gym, okay. which, I, which I love, yep. uh, uses sugar kelp uh, and barra, I think uses uh, bladder rack and uh, there's, a, there's a few other, there's now an Irish one, I can't remember the name or, and I can't pronounce it, that also uses five, funnily enough, they've come yeah. to the same conclusion and I think, uh, I think they're using pretty much the same seaweeds as we are. Um, but because they all bring something different to the table, I didn't want it to be a singular botanical. I wanted it to be a more complex blend of the seaweeds that I love because um, they all had something slightly different. So a complex umami base. And then from there on, it became a question of, right, okay, that's all the deep notes in the flavour profile. What are we going to add now? Right. You know, and it was very much a blank canvas. Yeah. You know, with, with gin, I know... Yeah, there's often some fairly common botanicals that people use and, you know, and then they may add other botanicals to kind of give provenance or a twist on the concept. Um, but with this, it really was a blank canvas. And actually, that, that, you know, the, the reason this came about was because four years ago, I didn't even realise that gin was flavoured vodka. 
essentially. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, no. And since I started this journey, it's incredible the amount of people that don't know or just assume that gin is something completely different to vodka. And they don't know that gin is flavoured vodka because flavoured vodka to them is generally single botanical vodka, like a toffee vodka or a a blueberry vodka or or whatever. Um, But I never wanted it. Bring out. I wanted to bring out something that was as complex as a gin, but not a gin. So uh, no juniper fundamentally. No juniper. I, I'm right in saying that gin has to have juniper in it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that has the key ingredient for gin, and then you can put anything else with it you like. But often, if you do a graph of what botanicals are in a gin, there's quite a lot of commonality between yeah. between them. Yeah. Uh, so if you take juniper out, it's then a flavored vodka, vodka or a botanical vodka, vodka, botanical vodka, which yeah. is a which is an emerging category. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. huge yeah. growth. Yeah, I mean, Diageo are playing yeah, with some this. of the big players are putting them out. Yeah. There, so yeah. Okay, so you specifically didn't want Juniper, partly you didn't want to do a gin, partly because you're not a big fan of it, or because you recognised that the gin market was uh, becoming more saturated? Both. Right. I grew up loathing gin. Um, it really wasn't for me. Um, for me, it was over. You grew up as a child, loathing gin, or no, even as an adult. You continue. We're all just <laughs> okay. growing up. Still. Well, either there was a period of, of, of taking the odd um, tipple from the parents, okay. um, you know, bar. Yeah. Um, and you preferred vodka. And yeah. <laughs> vodka was definitely more my thing. It was gin was just too much. However, you know, through the craft distilling period, I've been introduced to some wonderful gins. Yes. You know, and there's plenty out there. You know. Um, that, that I really do like now. Yeah, um, it's often the way, I think, yeah, you my... don't appreciate it because you probably were drinking bad gin in many ways, but now there's some, some beautiful stuff around. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, what did you end up using then? So you, you definitely, are, I'm not having juniper. What did you choose? Seaweed. <laughs> yeah, but for your botanicals. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, that was a big uh, experimentation as well, you know, that it, this went on for another kind of year wow. of, of really how looking many, into... How many did you try? <laughs> Many, many different things. Some that are normally that are found in gin, some that aren't. Uh, and I went around the houses and then really finally came back to um, things that actually historically are kind of obvious that they go with seaweed. Um, wasabi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wasabi from the Dorset Wasabi Farm. Um, which is a fantastic ingredient. It's great, we use it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so as, as soon as we distilled that, we, we kind of thought, that, well, that's, that's wonderful. It's got local provenance. Yeah. Um, great with a Bloody Mary. And <laughs> great with a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Um, you know, and in fact, this, the product that we've developed has, has actually got other things in it that work really beautifully in a Muddy, in a, in a, in a, in a muddy Mary, in a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Um, like the citruses that we use, the bergamot and the yuzu. Um, the wasabi, it's got Dorset sea salt in it as well, so it's almost a, a Bloody Mary kit. Yeah, amazing. Um, it's amazing how much you can cram into a spirit in that way, I think, isn't it? Well, I that, think that Monkey 47 have done a good job yeah. with that. <laughs> Very true, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, to still appreciate uh, that complexity of flavour. But the same when I interviewed Cam and Sons, have you heard that podcast? You should listen because, uh, yeah, he was the same. He was years uh, just trying loads and loads of uh, yeah, different botanicals to make a vermouth. But uh, yeah, Alex equally as uh, as bonkers um <laughs> so as you're going along at some point then you make a decision that right this is this is good um you you decided not to build your own distillery but went out to uh find a partner who then also helped you continue the kind of i don't know the perfection and the balancing of of the vodka is that correct yes no absolutely i mean prior to that actually um you know apart from doing the obvious friends and family yeah. kind of circuit and introducing it to people and putting it in the mix with things like ginger ale as a mule it works brilliantly and 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 with the bloody mary um i also had a friend who was a mixologist and yeah. had won some mixology awards and he came uh, on board um and came in to visit me a few times and we sat and we kind of did a few blends and sample stuff together and he was equally um, enthralled by the prospect of doing a seaweed vodka. He came from five generations of restaurateurs and drinks uh, producers and uh, in Weymouth and uh, and had been in the industry for a long time. So that's good. Yeah, uh, so he was he was a great gave you a bit test. of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. That it wasn't a completely bonkers idea, yeah. which generally I felt it probably was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so we sat and, and we worked on it 
for a while together. Um, and then uh, I left him and I kind of created uh, nine variations on a theme, actually. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I'll rewind a bit. because I don't mind. I also did... Uh, a gin foundry course okay. with Olivier, who I found very inspiring. Right. Um, and most of the people in the room there were, of course, wanting to uh, bring out gin. Yes. Um, and I had a chat with him in the break. I sort of told him what my idea was. And he, as well, thought it was wonderful that I was doing something that wasn't a gin. Yeah. You know, that I was using a neutral grain spirit as a blank canvas and doing something completely different with it. Nice. Um, so he was quite excited by that and gave me a few it's tips. It's dangerous, isn't it, when you meet people who agree with you and all of a sudden you go, oh my God, I just thought, you know, in some ways, if they said I was bonkers, I could have put this to bed, but now they've said it's yes, a good exactly. idea. exactly, that just keeps Oh my going. God, here we go, I'm on the trajectory. For, sh for sure. So yeah. I've, met few, I've met a few of those that have keep, kept yeah, me motivated. Yeah, you just need that little, little sign, that little hope. Wow, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, good on them. So, uh, so, so after that and uh, blending, uh, blending these samples together, uh, he had recommended that I spoke to Charles Maxwell from Thames Distillery, right. who I had a meeting with, and also they got in touch with Tony Riemann from Strathern yep. Distillery. Very different beasts. Really? You know, Thames Distillery, a huge distillery, you know, with loads and loads of contracts for, for gin, uh, and they're making their own, of course. Um, Strathern priding themselves on being a very small artisan uh, distillery. Um, up in Scotland, in Perth, um, and they were a little bit more open to something that was so left field, as far as I as far as I could see. And I had a long chat with Tony, uh, the owner, for a, whilst he was driving through the Highlands one day, and he and and he was interested, and he was on board, and he suggested that I came up to see them. Um, so I flew up. Uh, and and I had a had a chat with him about the whole project, and really that was the early days. And and then I went on to uh, send them these nine samples, um, which were a variation on a theme. And uh, I waited and for a response, and I waited and I waited and I waited, and uh, kept on bothering them. And uh, everyone had always told me persistence is the key, and that's so. I was very persistent. Um, and finally, uh, I got a call from his head of development, Jacques, Zach Shenfield, who uh, was a head distiller at Lone Wolf uh, for Brewdog's Distilling Arm. And he's got quite a rich accent. And uh, he's, he's, I, I was sitting on my mum's toilet, actually, at her flat, not, not in, the, in doing the deeds, but um, the only place I could get reception was there. So, <laughs> so, so I was sitting there thinking, oh my, what, what's he going to think? And he said, I, I really like them all. And I said, I said, do you like them all? He said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like them all. I like number four. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, and he said, in fact, I love number four. I think, really? it's, I think it's amazing. Wow. I think, um, you know, all the botanicals you're using are completely different to what I normally work with, you know, and I'm absolutely intrigued by this. You know, I've never worked with wasabi. I've never worked with galangal. I've never worked with yuzu, although yuzu is getting very popular now in the gin world, of course. Yeah. You know, so he was, he was very excited about um, collaborating, really. Wow. And it was more of a collaboration than just... Asking somebody to make me a gin. Yep. And as they said to me, he said, you know, we get a lot of cut tire kickers around here coming in, thinking it's going to be fun to, to bring out a gin brand. Um, but they normally come to us with just a name and a vague concept, and we have to design them the product. But you've been tinkering and experimenting for a number of years now, and you've brought us something that's kind of almost there. We just really need to fine-tune it. Amazing. And for me, that was perfect. You know, it, it wasn't my field, you know, and and you know, it was my passion. Yeah. But I had, you know, I gathered a lot of experience over the years and in the craft distilling sector about you know technique and and, uh, and botanicals and everything else. But you know, I wasn't an expert, so yeah. I wanted to hook up with somebody who could basically help me through that final stage. Yeah, amazing to find somebody passionate. Like you say, it's uh, it's all too easy to just go off and say, please make me 
this, but to find somebody who actually genuinely loves it and is excited mm. and wants to get involved. Destiny, Hugh, wasn't yes, it? It's meant it, to, I think it was. Yeah, yeah he's a very talented guy. Yeah. Um, so he didn't yeah. literally. So number four, did it? Did it change some more? Then was it a case of going back and doing some more tweets? And uh, yeah, we added bergamot. Okay, right. That was it. Yeah. Um, just like that, went, this needs a bit of bergamot or tried no. a few things and went, that one. <laughs> I, very quickly, because it's, because it's uh, such a, a new concept, seaweed, I mean, they said to me, you know, it's very bold. You want to call it seaweed vodka. I said, yeah. well, initially I wanted to make vodka out of seaweed. Right. That was actually the initial thought. Yeah. I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just you know, convert, maybe there's a starch element, you know, in seaweed that we can turn into alcohol and create Vodka from seaweed, yeah, but not possible. Okay, so what's the uh, what's the base of the product then? Wheat, wheat, organic yeah. though. Okay, organic, yeah. organic wheats as well, which I also felt was very important for the vodka market. Yeah, um, you know, everyone associates vodka with, or they want it to be clean and pure, yeah. and um, and so that was that was the route I, I really wanted to go down. So uh, bergamot, you just added it just like that. You could tell one sip, and you went, "That needs a dash of bergamot." No, what actually happened was I had a meeting with some Swedish importers because the very punchy nature of, the nature of this concept has made people instantly pay attention to it. Um, you know, it's quite out there mm. conceiving a seaweed botanical vodka yeah. um, and people are very curious from the off. Um, and so uh, I got set up with uh, from eating with uh, Swedish importers right. um, who love seaweed and they'd been doing some uh, the rounds of some trade shows in the UK and they'd come across quite a few seaweed products at the moment and they said to me that one of those products that come across was was um, was seaweed and bergamot combination and they thought it was fantastic and they thought it was well worth looking into so I did Right, I'm um, sure you did, and I don't suppose you just had a little look either. <laughs> so it was quite deep. Yeah, absolutely. So, so then we played with distillations of of the peel, um, which is obviously used in Earl Grey tea, um, and flesh, and combinations of the two um, to see what we felt worked. But actually, in retrospect, um, bergamot marrying so well with tea, uh, seaweed has quite a tea quality to it as well. Um, and and it, it does work beautifully. But I love yuzu. I never wanted to use the luzu, so we, we stuck with the yuzu as well. So we've got a combination of yuzu and bergamot for the citrus element. Now, I think to your average person on the street, probably in a little bit with wine and you drink it and go, oh, you know, I've got coffee and vanilla and a little bit of dirt. Um, most people are not going to be able to tell and have a sip of vodka. Do, do you think, have you always had the sort of palate that could pick up these kind of nuances, I suppose, of uh, flavours? Um, yes, I think I, 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 was, I was never shy of trying anything. Um, so I've been very open-minded about flavour. And, of course, you know, travelling the world quite frequently, I've been forced into situations where I've, I had no choice often either. Right. I suppose um, if you're filming a tribe in a jungle, you well, get what exactly. you're getting. Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, one of, my, one, of my, one of my stories is being offered what I thought was roasted figs one morning by the chief of a tribe. And as I put it up to my mouth, I noticed that it had little legs sticking out of each corner. And actually, it was roasted frog that was spawning. Um, yeah, so so I'm up, I'm up for trying most things. Okay, yeah, I imagine that's... Um, and uh, that, and that, that's, that's given that's me quite... Yeah, that's given, that's given me quite a broad-minded approach to f taste and flavours and okay. everything else. I, I just want to ask before we go off seaweed slightly, but are seaweeds, are they like a lot of uh, things? Are they seasonal? Do they change during the course of the year flavour-wise or supply-wise? Yes, yeah, especially... I ask a closed question and get a closed answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. Uh, so does that, does that make it... Uh, what, what is, it, is, it, is it the fact they're either available or not available, or is it the fact that... I know, I know the answer's going to be both, isn't it? But the, the, the flavours change, and how do you thus... Yes, the flavours the flavors can change. There are optimum times to pick certain oh, yeah. seaweeds. Like, uh, um, like like veggies. Um, and uh, so pepper dulce is, is one of the most obvious ones. It's perfectly in season now. Um, is but, it? Yeah. But Where by, do you find it? So mine comes from Northern Ireland. You can find it in Lyme Regis. Can you? Um, but there's, it's in plentiful supply in Northern Ireland. And as I'm not picking it myself at the moment, I've got right. a lovely lady, Gillian, who goes yeah. out and picks it do, for Do people me. farm it as well, or is it just foraged? Well, uh, talking to a local cafe... Uh, and restaurant around here, uh, the Crab Cafe. Yeah, I know the um, 
Nigel Bloxham. Yeah. He's uh, starting up a seaweed farm Is he? locally. So I've, I've had some chats oh, with wow. him about it. And I, I would like to bring it closer to home. Yeah. Um, but everything's for tweaking. Yeah, that'd know? be good to uh, have, a, have a chat with, actually. We'll get him yeah. on, the, uh, on the podcast at some point. So I'm trying to think how you... How you do that? You presumably need a fairly big old uh, chunk. Is, is, is it something you do in the ocean, or do you recreate the? No, ocean it's in the in ocean. There? I think you can put put ropes out, and you can yeah. just start creating your own uh, seaweed. Bit bit like mussels. Yes, uh, exactly. And stuff like that. So, um, how long from this kind of you know you found a distiller, they're excited, you've launched a product. How long, how long did it take to actually get to the point where <coughs> you've got a bottle of booze? Uh, probably about a year, really? actually. So yeah. the whole the whole thing from the waking up in the middle of the night. No, four years. No, yeah, four years. Four years. <laughs> wow. So when four years? When did you launch? White knuckle ride. Yeah, and, uh, that's amazing. I just I genuinely, you know, yeah, well done. Thank uh, you for doing it. Um, so yeah, when did it launch? Uh, so we launched partially launched at the Weymouth Seafood Festival last year. So that was 2019. Oh. Yeah. Okay. July the th- I think it was July the fourteenth, twenty nineteen. So you're you're just a baby still, seven months old, coming into your second summer. I suppose you missed most of last summer, guessing that people drink more booze in the summer. Mm-hmm. We yeah. did, and the reason being that we uh, because we've done quite an elaborate bottle. Um, there's a just a beautiful segue. It's like we rehearsed this because that's <laughs> the thing. So when you got in touch with me, one I loved the story, the name, which we haven't actually spoken about no, no. yet, and then I love the brand. Did some of that come, presumably if you work in TV and you're a cameraman, you go around, you're in the creative sector. Had you always had this kind of eye for detail? Does that happen looking through a lens, I suppose, you pick up on yeah, creative detail? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the only way, isn't it, to focus? I'm, I mean, I can't function without being able to focus. I'm not a multitasker by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I absolutely have to hone in on something and then I have to get it to a point obsess about it <laughs> until I love it, right. you know, and that's... that's that's my only litmus test. Yeah. The yardstick is that I have to fall in love with it before I can move on to the next element. Okay. Because, uh, and I'm just going to pick one up for our benefit, but it's a, it's a beautiful uh, looking thing. Can you just describe where the name Shanty came from and the brand and how it looks? I think Shanty came in another over caffeine flash of inspiration not long after conceiving the, the seaweed vodka. Um, and I love the word Shanty. Yeah. Um, I love it. It's on a matter pier. The fact it sounds like what it is. Um, not so uh, drawn into the historical side of it, more the sort of spiritual element of the fact that the sea and the coast and is in, inherently in our DNA. Yeah. Um, and that shanty is actually shanty songs that sailors used to sing, you know, connected them, pulled them, made them pull together for the, for the same cause, et cetera, et cetera. Is that when so, they were used in, in was it the sort of thinking of rowing ships and stuff like that? Where, where does it yeah, come so from? Yeah, hauling the mainsail, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff, you know, okay, singing shanty songs to, together. It's a bit like a chain gang almost. Like a motivational you know. kind yeah, of thing. Like, exactly. Yeah, gives them the rhythm. Pumped. Yeah, gives them the rhythm. They pull together. They're stronger that way. You know, it's all about connection. Yeah. Um, People have unfortunately missed out on the enthusiasm that you were doing the actions for a shanty there for you. I'm disappointed that we've not got this on video. We'll take a photo of you doing a shanty uh, later. But yeah, th- thanks for bringing it to life. So yeah, no, I agree. It's a really, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things so simple and, it, and that's often the way with things that you fall in love with. But uh, yeah, shanty. Uh, and then the design elements. So I, I, I love modern design. I love simple, clean branding. But I just felt that if I was going to bring out a premium product to the market, that I wanted something that wasn't just screaming out from the bar. I wanted something that the logo in itself is quite modern. It's just got a kind of negative space elements that cut out to suggest seaweed and kind of fluidity through the logo. And the logo on its own, thank you, Adriana, Adriana, um, works beautifully, I think, especially the larger it gets. You get more and more and more of a sense of of, of the um, movement within it. Um, but as well as that, I felt that if I, if I was buying a premium product, I want to be able to hold it and look at it and find interesting things in it and explore it. You know, so um, I hooked up with uh, an old friend of mine's sister who's a local Dorset artist, um, Emma Brown-John, and um, we talked about what we were going to do with this blank bottle. <laughs> You know, and uh, I went to her initially because she's amazing with colour. 
Right. She's an incredible uh, artist with colour, but she's also, she's got a graphic design background um, as well as a, a fine art background. And I wanted that sort of fusion um, to work with somebody who had those sort of uh, abilities for, for the project. Initially, I was thinking about going down a very abstract route for the rest of the bottle, you know, lots of colour and, and, and everything else. But actually, she suggested monochrome. Um, and I went with it because vodka, again, is all about clarity and purity. And people might be put off if I'd perhaps... Um, steeped a bit of seaweed in it and the and and the and the, and the spirit had gone slightly green or or whatever and so i wanted it to be crystal clear and using color around the bottle kind of uh, affected that as well because it colored the colored the spirit i'm not a fan of bottles that kind of uh, don't show the spirit because I like to know how much is left in the bottle. <laughs> you know, um, you've bought like one to... with you, and I'm going to say not enough. For oh, you well, I've got another one here too. There you oh, are. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, and do you think that's made a difference? So then you, you know, you take this out into the market. It's a, uh, it is, you know, unique. How's the reception been? And do you think the brand and the has helped? Um, just to finish off on the, on oh, the design, on, if you don't yes, mind. No, I don't, don't mind at all, mind. Sorry, yeah, no, I got distracted by how just, much you just drunk. It was very important to me that every seaweed that's in the spirit is represented uh, on the bottle, okay, yeah. actually. So this is the, this here's the Dabalox next to the spirit of the sea's face. Okay. Uh, I, I will put some photos of the bottle online so that people can you know, maybe do this live uh, and go along, but uh, yeah. Uh, and then, we, and we, then we've got the kelp over this side here, and we've got the pepper dulse here and the seagrass and the sea lettuce up, up the front. Nice. So, it's, so it's all there. So it all and means I, something. And, and, and that infuriated Emma, the artist, because I restricted her to only using the seaweeds that were actually present in the drink. Authentic. But she's done a great job. Yeah, no, it does. It looks awesome. How was the response? <laughs> so, so the response has been fantastic. Uh, people, so at the seafood festival where we launched, uh, obviously, it was the perfect event for us, uh, being seafood. Do you sing? Uh, <laughs> actual shanties to at myself. the event. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, people were captivated just by the, the fact that they could have a free sample, of course. Helps, so, definitely. So, so we, we were, yeah. we were Easier than selling double glazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's giving people booze. And it's free, try it, seaweed, seaweed botanical vodka. Okay, I've got to try that. Yeah. So we were six deep at the bar for two days. Wow. And, and the response was incredible. Yeah. And I was floating on air. And this was the first opportunity that I'd had to put it in front of the public. It's all yeah. well and good putting it in front of your friends and families Absolutely. and trying to widen that on occasion when you can. But just to go down mm. with your product yeah. that you've put your heart and soul into for four years and they've got no, no reason to lie to you or, yeah. you know, or any allegiance with you and just offer it up and see what they think. And the feedback was fantastic. Did you have a little happy sob? <laughs> I don't think I had time for that. No, or maybe afterwards. I just think it's incredible when you see something come to life. Have it when you first saw the first bottle. I know when I open restaurants sometimes, and the first time it really feels real is when I see the name of the restaurant and the address printed on the top of the PDQ machine or something like that. It's those little moments where you go, oh my God, you know, this is actually happening. It's real. And, and it's an incredible feeling that something that's only existed in your head for such a long period of time all of a sudden is physical in front of you. Do you remember the first time you saw the finished bottle and, or, or saw it on a shelf being sold somewhere? And was it? Yeah, I mean, I highly, re highly recommend it. You know, seeing a thought through to yeah. a product is um, <clears throat> something that's really uh, hooked me now. Yeah. Have you walked into a shop yet and seen it on a shelf yeah. that you didn't expect? Yeah, no, absolutely. Did and you? people have sent photographs of it wow. in different locations. And, that's amazing, and, isn't it? And, you know, that it's, it's just very warming to see it finally out there and it's very early days for me now and when we did the seafood festival when we did the seafood festival um we didn't even have the bottle oh right the okay. bottle the bottle was a few months behind in fact right. it was only supposed to be one month behind but we had the product and i had a virtual bottle on a computer okay. screen that i had there big poster. and people were and not even a big poster Just big logo wow on the bar that we made um and uh people were pre-ordering on the basis of the little sample they had. Ooh, nice. You know, and I just thought, this is fantastic. I'm walking away with nearly 100 pre-orders yeah. from this, you know, and they're trusting us and, and, and they haven't even seen the bottle um, 
And, uh, and so, yeah, so the response was great, very encouraging. Um, and uh, we've gone on to do one trade show since in Exeter this year where we have had the bottle. And again, great response from wholesalers, distributors, bar owners, restaurateurs. They love the flavour. Um, yeah, you know, I'm very happy with that. Uh, currently, you know, and I was very much looking forward to going out and um, putting it in front of the public again this year. But unfortunately, obviously, we're in a situation where that's not possible right now. Yeah, so for uh, slightly dating the podcast, I'm not sure when it's going to go out, but I don't think the coronavirus is going to disappear before this goes out. So, yes, we are, uh, I don't know, in that bit of the unknown, I suppose, aren't we? We're still trying to flatten the curve. Let's see if this, uh, if this dates. But uh, challenging times as... Boris has just told people across the country not to visit bars and restaurants and we're just coming into summer. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, you're right. It's uh, disappointing. Yeah. But, you know, but long term, you've got an amazing product. I guess it's just a case of hang on tight. Yeah, I mean, I'm optimistic and I'm booking up events, you know, August, September. 2022. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what what can you do? You know, you just got to keep going, haven't you? Yeah, there is, there, yeah, what can you do? And uh, I'm going to try and explore uh, Corona in in, in a more um, in depth way in some other podcasts, but I think, yeah, too early um, to do it now. So we won't. Um, Coming out there off the back of, I guess, this huge gin revolution or evolution, uh, renaissance, shall we say, in the last couple of years, does it feel like good timing with that? Because I I guess you've got people's uh, interest in artisanal kind of craft booze peaked at the moment, but maybe uh, a flood of the market in many ways with a sort of gin in every town. Is the vodka market different? Have you got similar competitors to what you're doing? What's your thoughts around your timing? I was told once that, you know, because I was bringing out a unique product that I was really going to have to educate the market on this product. Yeah. And at the time, I said, well, I think that's a great opportunity, you know, to have something to talk about, to to have such a point of difference that people are interested from the off. I don't care whether I've got to educate people to get people into, into this. It might be, it might take a little bit, bit more of a push. It might initially, I think, um, but I've had you know some significant people responding very well to it, and influences, for want of a better word, uh, responding very well to it. So I don't think it's going to continue to be an uphill struggle. It's not an uphill struggle. Most people who try it like it. Yeah. Um, the vast, vast majority. Um, so um, I think, yes, that the momentum of the gin sector has definitely educated people in itself. People, have, as, as with me, that I didn't even understand that a gin was a flavoured vodka. Um, and people now know that the vodka is a blank canvas that you can do all sorts of things with. There's all sorts of happening things happening in the spirit world. Um, and... Uh, and this is sitting neatly between gin and vodka, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm hoping that it will appeal to both. Good. Um, I guess one of the key markets is, is the uh, bar trade, hospitality specifically. Uh, mixologists have had a chance to have a play with it and come up with some some drinks. Um, yeah, getting it in venues, had a good response, started to see it. Very good response from from venues, especially venues that are pushing the boundaries themselves a little bit with flavours, um, and you know they they want they're in the business of bringing something new to people and creating conversations around new products. Yeah, um, good. Got a distributor yet, or are you selling directly yourself at the moment? Uh, still selling directly myself. I've got a few distributors uh, interested. It's just a question of, at the moment, we're very small batch, so there's not a lot of headroom uh, in terms of profit margin for us at the moment, especially selling into trade. Mm. Uh, so it's just a question of s- trying to slip in somebody in the middle. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah. <laughs> So, you know, when the numbers come up for us and we get some economies of scale... Uh, we'll be able to do that. Okay. And uh, retailers, can people buy this yet in any shops that they know? Uh, you can buy it online yeah. uh, from the website. Uh, there's some local stockists uh, around town um, and uh, we're just looking into wholesale options at the moment. Very yeah. early days for yeah, us. Yeah. 
Amazing, exciting. Um, so you did this, your original trigger was I don't want to or I cannot uh, travel around the world filming tribes in jungles anymore. I'm looking for a lifestyle change. Uh, you've certainly got one. Any kind of, I don't know, key learnings, key thoughts around the difference between running a drinks company to being behind a camera traveling the globe? <laughs> big, big question. It's, it is, and I've had to take it day by day, step by step, um, and learn about everything on the fly as I go intensively, um, but treating it, treating it as a as a as a as a step by step product and not uh, project, and not moving on to the next phase until I'm happy with the phase that I've been working on, whether that's the distilling and the and, and we haven't touched on the fact that it's distilled in, in a different way. It's vacuum distilled rather than copper distilled, um, you know, and, and, and learning about that um, th through to the... I've never designed a bottle, you know, and getting involved in, in that and the, and the different permutations, uh, endless possibilities, uh, and, and finally settling on something that's a little bit like having a tattoo, you know, you've got to commit to something eventually, you know, and you, all you can do is kind of follow your heart. Yeah. You're in the middle of the journey, I suppose. You're not out the other end yet, so maybe it's a little bit early, but, um, you know, hospitality is a sector that, that, that's got a lot of uh, glitz and glamour, it did have until about 10 days ago, <laughs> with people wanting to get into it. But any advice that you would give to people out there who've got this little itch, this little idea, this little kind of bit of creativity that's been, you know, buzz bugging them for ages, any key things you've learned already where you'd say, God, I wish I knew that four years ago? I think I think you've got to listen to people and you've got to listen to the right people. I think and if the right and significant people are giving you good feedback on you on the way and you can you can sense whether people are interested generally um, and, and that encourages you to keep going you know so I think if you have an idea and everybody sort of sighs or turns away or changes the conversation or whatever else and I think you need to tune into that but if you have an idea where people are all ears and want to hear more uh, then it gives you the encouragement to to keep going with it I think mm. so I think you've got to have your radar out yeah. uh, as to whether this is going to work or not mm. and I guess uh, finding that genuine niche of which you correctly pointed out that I didn't quiz you on the distilling and it was interesting when I was doing the research that difference in vacuum distilling is fundamentally around heat again and that subtlety of flavour is that right can you just explain a little bit about yes yeah, so uh the majority of um uh, distillations are um, done on copper um in alembic stills the traditional stills which look beautiful um and that's where i started with this you know we were using uh zach and i were using copper um but we wanted to explore because ultimately we wanted the product to be experiential. We wanted it to be like plunging in the sea, like connecting yourself to the ocean through taste, you know, like moving mountains. We just wanted to be shifting seas, taking that experience, you know, inland for people who couldn't be by the ocean or celebrating the coast when they are by the ocean and kind of enhancing that moment as well. Um, so we wanted it to be crisp and fresh, you know, like plunging in the sea in the morning. And, and so, Especially for citruses, um, distillations generally happen at about between 60 and 70 degrees. So you're cooking them, you know. So with, with, a, with an orange peel or something like that, you're basically giving it a slightly marmalade note compared to extracting those flavours at room temperature, which is what happens with vacuum distillation. So, you know, we're essentially pulling off fresh yuzu, fresh bergamot, pulling off the flavours of the ocean rather than cooking the flavours of the ocean. And then we do each botanical individually um, and then blend them together. You know, so that some some distillers will use what's what we call one shot, one pot distillation, where all the botanicals are all thrown in together. You know, but ultimately you're dealing with organic botanicals that can vary through seasons and, and different sources and everything else. So you get more control, in our opinion, by doing it individually. 
um, and then blending those afterwards. Um, and we tried uh, copper distillations versus vacuum distillation for every single botanical that we use. And um, as far as we were concerned, it worked best for everything. Really amazing. Uh, again, you know, thank you for, uh, yeah, being that uh, obsessive to get those kind of details <laughs> right. Because what I really love, and I think too many people come into the market, and, and particularly with gin, I think we've seen it, um, and, it, you know, they're kind of almost Googling, uh, I don't like my job, what can I do? Oh, look, gin's in fashion, you know, I'm going to make a gin. Um, but some people you know, really try and do it properly. And ultimately, it's the authentic ones that really do it. I interviewed uh, Vince from Portsmouth Distillery about rum. And, uh, you know, again, he'd spent three years traveling around the Caribbean, popping into, uh, you know, rum distillers and learning about the different types of, types of rum and learning about molasses and learning about sugar syrup. And if you, if you take it to that level, ultimately you will get a genuinely authentic different proper kind of product and although it's hard and it takes time and you think how many four years of research you know if you were if you were to charge for that time you know it's an insane level of investment isn't it but i do believe that do it do it right for the right reasons and ultimately it will pay it's four years of, of research driven by a lifetime's passion for being yeah. by the sea yeah you know um and that's why i couldn't let this go you know, the being able to bring out a product that encapsulates my passion for being on the shoreline, you know, is what I wanted to, to transfer into, into a product. And, um, and I know I'm not alone with that sentiment, you know. You know? Yeah, I, I almost think it's maybe deep-rooted into our DNA. You know, Absolutely. Maybe if we came from the oceans, but you don't find many people who don't find looking out to sea a pretty inspirational space and with everything that's going on in the world at the moment you know probably even more so to uh, you know i walk my beach at my beach i walk my dog along the beach every day and i look out at the ocean and you hear the waves and you see the sea and there's something that uh, i don't know makes you feel a joy to be on planet earth doesn't it and i don't Absolutely. want to move to mars and i think if you can bottle that and and create that kind of like with the name with the brand with the actual product with its authenticity then that's a beautiful thing isn't it and if you're in a city somewhere and you want a little bit of the ocean and hugh's crazy obsessive mind in your drinks <laughs> cupboard then uh, yeah here, herein lies the opportunity um What's the bit now, at the moment, the bit that you wake up in the morning and you go, ah, oh, this is bloody exciting. What's the bit of your, your new life, your new role that gives you the greatest joy? Um, opportunity falling in, you know, uh, not by accident. Um, meeting amazing people already. Because, I think because of the positioning of the product, um, it's... I'm, I'm kind of ahead of my time, actually, in terms of the people that are showing interest in it. And um, I'm very thankful for that. Um, so that's very exciting um, and unnerving at times. Um, but as I say, the response has been fantastic. So Good. I'm going to keep going. And uh, post-corona, when the economy is booming and we're all in a happy place again, you have the ability to ramp up supply. Do you ultimately plan to move where it's distilled from or are things going well with your uh, yeah, Scottish relationship? So as well as uh, taking expert opinion on this in terms of the final creation of the product um, and collaborating with Strathern, who have now been taken over by Douglas Lang, actually, or acquired by Douglas Lang. So yeah. In, in, uh, um, Yes, I will keep it there for probably two or three years yeah. um, to let the brand get traction. That was always the point. I always thought this is good. it would be insane to bring out a micro distillery on the back of a, you know, a seaweed vodka. Yeah. Let's just see if the market respond to it Fair at gone. all. I might, yeah. I might just have to put this whole thing to bed. Yeah. Um, Minimum viable product kind of thing. Yeah. Don't... Uh... You know, but it was attractive because Strathern had always told me they could produce anything from 250 litres to 100,000 litres a year if so required. And so the mechanism was there in place, whatever the response was, and the expertise and the bottling line, et cetera, et cetera. So that was very, that was very attractive. However, you know, I would like to bring it home. I would like, you know, my dream is to uh, set up a little micro distillery, perhaps in a boatyard somewhere, get a couple of containers, you know, weld them together, create a little micro distillery that maybe looks out to sea oh. if I'm lucky. 
um, and uh, bring it home back to Dorset. That sounds beautiful. Have you got an anchor tattoo or anything like that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, look, you 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 paint a, uh, a beautiful picture with your words. Uh, again, you know, congratulations. I love it. I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's a great product, but it's even more. It's got a great story. You are already even so early in your journey. You're already a great human of hospitality. So I was excited to meet you, even though it was only a couple of months ago. Um, and yeah, thanks for coming and, and sharing your story. If people want to buy a bottle, and how can they not with that description? Uh, best place to go at the moment is your website. Is that right? Yeah, website, and we can just ship it out to you directly. That's probably the best bet at the moment. But um, we've got social media up and running at the moment, so we'll make Great. announcements of uh, distribution and wholesale as they come up. Amazing website address: www.shantyspirit.com. Shanty S H A N T Y Spirit.com, and your handles, which is the best place: Instagram, Facebook. Where are you? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah, um, at Shanty Spirit for Instagram and Twitter, and at Shanty Spirits plural for Facebook. Okay, perfect. I will put links to all of these on the uh, the website and the show notes. So if people go to humansofhospitality.co.uk, uh, type in Hugh in the search field and your show notes will come up and we'll put all the links there as well but for now uh good luck i i I have every faith that it will go well and uh yeah thanks for spending the time pleasure thank you mark Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast and remember that on the website humansofhospitality.co.uk every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned and we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics so you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday